As health and wellness providers, we know that better patient outcomes require a whole person, multidisciplinary approach that we just can't provide on our own. That's why I've started the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I'll be bringing you interviews with experts, tips, tricks, secrets, resources, systems, and solutions so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And creating your wellness center won't feel like starting over. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Lauren Brown. Lauren, welcome to the show. Kendall, thank you for having me. Let's start out with having you introduce yourselves to our audience today. Sure. Well, a brief background is um, today I'm a practicing doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, clinical hypnotherapist, um, and I have a practice in Vancouver called AccuBalance Wellness Center, where we focus a lot on reproductive health. Um, Before that, I was a CPA, a chartered professional accountant, and I had health issues, and uh, it brought me to Chinese medicine, and I changed careers, so no longer practicing chartered accountant, and uh, it gave me um, the opportunity to build a successful practice because I had that business background, and I I had entrepreneurs that mentored me when I was an accountant and when I was going into Chinese medicine which uh, led to me to enjoy and have uh, so far a successful career. What I love so much about most healthcare providers stories is that it's, there's always something personal that leads us to do this work. And there's a uniqueness in, in our field in that way where most providers in, in these fields are just passionate about what we're doing because of our own journeys. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'd love to hear just a little bit more about how you actually logistically made that transition from being a CPA into becoming an acupuncturist. Sure. Well, you know, the story's a little bit longer, so thanks for asking the question. Um, And, you know, when I went into accounting, it wasn't my passion. I liked it, but it wasn't my passion. I had a degree in math, bachelor of science in math, and I went on to become a professional accountant. And I had my health issues and trying conventional medicine for for years with not getting the results, resolution. And then I finally, my aunt was into alternative medicine, as she termed it back then. And uh, I went to her herbalist. I had to fly to herbalist because I didn't know anybody in my city. And it, it transformed my life. You know, I never felt so sharp and such full of energy through diet and herbs. And I even went for um, acupuncture. And, and that's where... Um, It's kind of a cute story, but where it really got me so interested that I went to this acupuncturist. I didn't speak very good English, and she's taking my pulse, looking at my tongue, and she's telling me about my health history without me really telling her. And I just drove across Canada, which is a very wide country, all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. I had moved to go to Chinese, well, to go to alternative medicine school. I didn't even know what I was going to study at the time when I left accounting. And I said to her, um, because she knew I had just arrived in Vancouver. I'm from the East Coast. And because she's telling me so much about my history, I said, 
hey, why, why does my neck and shoulder hurt so much? And then she goes with broken English. She's from China saying, it's because you drive like this for four days. And she holds her hands as if she's driving a car. And I loved it because it was so authentic. She didn't have any mysterious, magical explanation. Just like, oh, you, your arms are up high for four days. Of course, your neck and shoulder hurts. It'll get better. But all the other stuff that she did in that treatment room was magnificent for me. And I actually ended up going back into accounting for a bit. I didn't have the guts to follow my passion. So f- for all those that, you know, fears there, is it going to work? And so I fell back to my comfort zone, not my passion zone, not my passion zone, but my comfort zone. And um, while I was working on a very big project that required lots of hours, I would go to see the acupuncturist in my lunch break. And she said sleeping on her table for 45 minutes will be like two to three hours at night. And it allowed me to work excessively during that period of time. It's not what we'd recommend. She didn't recommend it, but she said, let's reduce the damage to your body and your health based on what you have to do over those period of time. I remember as she put in the needles and some in my head, I was like, there's no way I'm going to fall asleep. And then 45 minutes later, she's tapping me to wake me up. And so I finally had the courage second time to leave my career as as an accountant. I was a controller for the Ocean Spray Growers in British Columbia. And I went into Chinese medicine and loved it, never turned back, and developed skills in hypnotherapy and other mind-body techniques, functional medicine, low-level laser therapy. So it took a lot of courage to make that change. And it was because of my personal experience. I had health issues and because it had such a profound effect on myself. And when I went to school back in the, uh, the 90s, most people this was their second career. I think today at the time of our recording, many people, this is their first career going into it. But when I went, there was very few people that this was their first career. So I I wasn't uh, unique in that way. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, So now you have your own business that is multifaceted, from my understanding. I wonder if you could share a little bit more about your current business setup as an acupuncturist and otherwise. So when I set up my practice, I was a solo practitioner renting rooms, and uh, my practice grew fairly rapidly because I I focused on fertility, and it's one of the things that I found because that was my I became passionate about it, and it was kind of a a a fluke that that's what I I I started focusing on. It wasn't my intention when I started. It was on digestive um, and irritable bowel types of um, syndromes or problems because that was what my my issue was. And um, that's a whole other story how I how I got into fertility. But let's just say, because of a patient who came to me that I worked with with fertility, I realized how important it was for this demographic and how much I loved the hormonal system, both from the conventional Western understanding, Chinese medicine understanding. And so, within about three to four years, uh, my wait list was quite large. And so I brought on my first associate, and within that same year, I brought on a second associate. And at that point, I found my own space with and got a lease with several, had five treatment rooms. Now I'm in a space that has nine treatment rooms. And I developed a relationship with the uh, local fertility clinic. So I personally helped introduce IVF acupuncture on site at all the fertility clinics in Vancouver. And now my clinic is only with one clinic. So we're, we're associated with one clinic in town. Every clinic kind of has their acupuncturist. Um, but our clinic and myself were the ones that got that started. And it was because I was really good at um, bringing in the patients. Um, I'm an average doc. I I hire people smarter than me, always. And some people are really good technicians and they're great treating patients, but they don't have the 
know-how, which can be coached and taught, by the way, to develop those relationships to become like a referral magnet. And it was just something, I guess, somewhat natural because of the mentorship I had in coaching I had in my early days to be a good communicator and to be able to communicate the value that um, patients um, came to my practice. And because I had so many in a wait list, I needed to hire associates, which was attractive to associates to come into a practice and just have patients spill into their practice. And for them to have some mentorship as well, right, from somebody who was more senior. And so now my clinic, we're in Vancouver, we're looking to expand to some other areas in British Columbia. Um, but again, we have naturopathic doctors in our practice, um, Chinese medicine uh, doctors as well. And we're, uh, we go on site to the IVF clinic. And in our practice, we're using herbs, acupuncture, um, mind-body techniques, like conscious work, I call it, and um, IV therapy, functional medicine, Twena body work, and uh, herbs and supplements. I might have, and low-level laser therapy. That's kind of our multidisciplinary approach. So where do you see, you know, over the years, you've come across many acupuncturists and other healthcare providers in the fields of alternative medicine. Where do you see healthcare providers failing commonly in business? Yeah, well, I, I wrote a book on this as well, and um, it's called Missing the Point, Why Acupuncturists Fail and Why They Need to Succeed. And, and this could be for any practitioner, any healthcare pr practitioner. Um, my people I mentored and colleagues had asked me to share what I know with them. And I would do one-on-one. I do some courses here and there. And um, I was asked to put it on paper. So I eventually wrote that book and published it. I think it was 2016. And that's the question I'm answering. And then I go into more detail. But basically, all small businesses, we're healthcare providers. Most of us are small, we're small businesses and your business, once you accept payment for your service, and I don't know what it's like in all the health professions, but I know for Chinese medicine doctors, especially that culturally, the Chinese medicine acupuncture community, they have a resistance that they don't even think they're in business. And small businesses are at risk of failing just by the nature of them being small, meaning we don't have the resources to hire like the cash flow, the money to hire somebody to do our marketing to do our website, to do our social media, um, somebody to do reception, somebody to clean the place, um, all the different, uh, to do our accounting. And so as a small business, since you don't have those resources, cash flow, meaning the bank giving you money or investors giving you money, you have to do it on a real shoestring budget. And also you have to try to be good at everything, which is not realistic. You can't be a great marketer, a great practitioner, a great janitor, a great receptionist, you know, there's people that are, that do that well. And so because we wear many hats and because we don't have the resources to do everything that really needs to be done, small businesses in general are at risk of failing just by the nature of being small. If you add to it that you're in denial in, that you're in business, well, that really increases your risk of failing. And in Chinese medicine, most people are familiar with the, the yin yang symbol, right? Well, when yin and yang are in balance, we have health. And we say when yin and yang are in disharmony, we have disease. And when yin and yang separate, there is death. So the yin yang here is you have clinical skills and then you have your business skills. And most health professionals only focus on the clinical aspect of it. 
And therefore, their clinics, their business side of it, they have a disharmony because they have all the clinical stuff. That's all they're putting their attention to. And they're neglecting the business side because they're not interested to it or they have an aversion to it. And their clinics fail for that as well because to have a successful practice and therefore help your community heal, you need to be staying in business, which means you have to also give some attention to the business side, which is why it's great, Kendall, that you offer that coaching because people need that support in the healing profession. And I do say you want to do it with integrity, right? Like it's not about, oh, I got to make a lot of money. If you create value, usually the profits follow. So it's about creating value and becoming a prosperous healer, but with integrity. And so the biggest reason that I think practitioners fail is because they're small businesses. That's just the nature of small businesses. That's the risk. We lack resources. And the second part is we're in denial that we're in business. I agree with you 100%. And when I work with clinic owners, we always have this discussion about you are in business. We have to shift the mindset because... A lot of healthcare providers don't want to be in sales. They don't want to feel salesy. That feels icky to them. You know, the whole money conversation across the board can be really uncomfortable for healthcare providers. So we're having that conversation a lot. But I I always like to explain, like, the way I view it is that success, when we think about financial success, that's a side effect of working with integrity. And from our clinic, it's a side effect of working in true collaboration with each other on behalf of patients. And the other part comes, you know, there's intention by it behind it, but it's also a side effect of the way we're working. It's not the foundation. It's not the number one reason why any of us in healthcare are doing what we're doing. Yeah, most people go into it because they want to help people. But if you don't um, run your practice properly, then your practice will will fail, go under, and then you find another career, and then you're not there healing your communities. You said something important is the mindset. So that's a big part of it is the mindset. And our mindset will determine whether we're going to be successful in life or not. That's why you know, I love the clinical hypnotherapy part of my practice So with my patients. And then when I've done mentor to support my colleagues – It's looking at the mindset because that's really going to determine whether you're successful or not. And there's a quote by um, Gandhi that says, and I'm just going to read it to you, but it it basically shows how your beliefs trickle down to your actions and then those actions lead to your destiny, So, um, which means your reality. So your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, and your habits become your values and your values become your destiny. And so my first step for myself and when I work with anybody is working on the mindset. Because if you go work on the outside world and work on the behaviors, eventually you're going to fall back into your subconscious programming beliefs. Most of them you inherited. They're, some of them are cultural. They're inherited in, in humanity, like our fear of lack, right? Or imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough. So there's a lot of personal development, inner work that needs to be done. But the reason this is important is because your behaviors are always congruent with your beliefs. And what you have in life, these habits are actions that you do repeating daily over and over again. But those actions, behaviors, come from your beliefs. And so if you go and change an action with willpower, willpower is like a muscle, eventually it'll fatigue and you're going to fall back into your old habits. 
And so the key is to go to the cause, and this means we do inner work, and we work on our programs and our beliefs. And then that shift will then create a change in your behaviors because your actions and your behaviors are always congruent with your beliefs. And when they conflict, I say when the subconscious and conscious conflicts, the subconscious wins. And to take this to the idea around money is if you have a belief that money's evil, because money's just energy, it's just cheese, what's the individual, what they do with it. And so if you hate the 1%, if you get upset when somebody has nice jewelry on or they have nice homes and cars, then on an unconscious level, how do you think you can attract that in your life if you are actually repulsed by it? The subconscious wants congruency. And so it wants to belong, belong at safety. But if you dislike people with money, then your subconscious is going to find ways to sabotage you because it wants to be in belonging. And if you have a belief that this money is evil and people with money did it without integrity, then on an unconscious level, you're going to find ways to sabotage your success. If you can come into relationship with money, then you have this abundance. And now you have money that you can donate to causes that are important to you, or you can budget charity as in how many free treatments or discounted treatments you give a year. So people say sliding scale. Like for me, my approach would be just like you don't give all your income away, you budget it. In your practice, it's charity. Let's just call it what it is. It's charity. So you have your price and then you budget in a year or in a month how many free treatments you're willing to give or how many discounted treatments. And once you reach that, that's it. Because just like your income, you don't keep giving every time somebody asks. And so there's those healthy boundaries um, when you run your practice. And the reality is you can't help everybody. That's why it's great that there's many practitioners. And it's just not a fair responsibility or ask for yourself. And so you help the people you can. And you got to set, I believe you. it's good to set up healthy boundaries and to give charity. And if your clinic is flowing and you have that abundance, then you can choose how you want to give this abundance to other people to support them. And if there's more prosperous healers, then I think we'd have more healing in the world as well. Agreed. Let's talk about some key points of successful practitioners. And you're, you know, talking um, about mindset, which is obviously one of the key points. But what else would you say are those kind of main factors that you see in providers who are successful in business? Again, I'm going to share, it stems from mindset and beliefs. So it's always got to start from there. But creating value, it's really important to to create value. And to create that value, it has to be a real value, a perceived value. So the patient has to perceive it's valuable, not necessarily that you just perceive it's valuable. For example, um, some of the my colleagues that I've mentored, they tell me how many years they went to school and how much school debt they have. Well, that's not a value proposition for your patients. That doesn't that, that that's not their issue. That's not their problem. So that doesn't create value because you spent a lot of money in school or you have debt. It's the perceived values. It's going to help me. And I'll, I'll share an example. So again, because if you create value and they see the value and you can communicate the value to them, that's the key. So, you, you know, you talked about people don't like marketing and sales. You are selling health. And so marketing is just education, again, with integrity. You're not selling them something that you don't think is going to benefit them. So there's the, the integrity side is selling is just educating because they may not know how your acupuncture or your supplements or your hypnotherapy work is going to transform their lives on an emotional and a physical level. So there, it's, not, it's just not as obvious as they know if they go to a doctor for surgery, it's supposed to fix this. It's supposed to, right? And so creating value is really 
is key, and then being able to communicate that value. And just going to give you an example. So in my practice, I'm going to just make numbers so the math is easy. But let's say um, we're charging $100 for an acupuncture session, and I'm recommending, and this is a true story, recommending them come twice a week to help optimize their fertility. So I've had women where they say they can't afford to come even once a week for the $100, and so they don't come. I'm one of the early adopters of bringing low-level laser for fertility to North America, definitely in Canada and the States. It was um, pretty popular in Japan and in Denmark, and then several years ago, um, I got involved and became a passion project of mine. And when we started what we called our laser baby program, and we explained how laser has the potential to benefit fertility based on the mechanisms, and we put it out there, many of the women that could not come in for $100, and it was you, you came in um, twice, you had to come in twice a week to be part of the program, and let's call that 150 a session, so 300 the women that said they couldn't afford $100 a week started coming in at $300 a week. So why? When they say they can't afford your services, what they're really saying is, I don't see value in what you're, what you're offering to part with that kind of money. That's what they're saying. In Canada, they're just being really nice. So they'll say sorry first, right? We'll say sorry. <laughs> I can't afford your services. But that's what it really means. And how do I know this? Well, there are people that come into my practice that say they can't afford our treatment, but they're doing their third or fourth IVF for $25,000. So they're affording the IVF, but not ours. So what they're saying is, I see the value in spending that kind of money because this is the, their stats that they can share. And I believe that it's going to work or why, how it can help me percentage wise. And I just don't get it from you. So it tells me that I haven't communicated my value properly. And so there's a tip when you talk about your listeners to your practitioners. When somebody says they can't afford it, they just haven't seen the value. So you haven't communicated your value properly to them. And so, so much in like, you know how to do the treatment. And so acupuncture is a great example. And so in the Chinese herbal side, because the public can't tell the difference from a good to a poor acupuncture prescription, herbal prescription. They never went to school. They don't, they don't understand why the points in the lower ankle and on the outside of the knee, how's that going to help their fertility or their digestion? That doesn't make sense to them. The herbs all taste terrible. They can't tell what's in them. So what makes them come to you versus somebody else? So there's something else happening there. And that's kind of that relationship that you have with your patients. How do you develop that trust and confidence, which I believe comes from communication, which again, it comes from inner work first, like you become your own project first. And then creating value is finding ways to create value for your patient. So some of the ways to create value, I mentioned I brought in another modality. So every two years or so, I add a new letter to behind my name. It's just something I love to learn. And so I'm constantly learning. So I'm constantly increasing my the value of me, the skills that I have, right? So I'm constantly learning and and adding skill set that I think will benefit my patients. And so it's not just like, oh, it's valuable. Like, you know, how are you going to differentiate yourself from other practitioners? And so adding skill set is really important. And I'm going to just give a Jim Rohn uh, quote um, that I like that he talks about value where he says, to have more, you simply have to become more. Don't wish it for it to be easier. Wish for you to be better and become three times more valuable valuable so you can make three times more money. 
And so it's all about creating value. And, and I will share with you, it's not just like you snap your fingers and now you're adding more value to, to your treatments. I specialize. So that became valuable to my patients because think of it from yourself. If you had a condition, you're not going to a GP for your heart disease or if you had cancer, you're not going to the GP for that. You're going to a cardiologist or an oncologist or if a skin dermatologist. So the public is used to that. Even though you may treat holistically, so it doesn't matter what the disease is, the way you treat. But again, from the public's perspective, I need somebody that knows me well. And so a generalist really doesn't speak to anybody, but a specialist speaks to a, a set group. So if you just treated knee pain as an acupuncturist, you could be super busy if you became well-known for the best at knee pain, not just pain, knee pain as an example. It doesn't mean you treat other things in your clinic. It's just what are you communicating marketing outside? So specialization is a great way to build up your practice. And again, find something that you are passionate about that you want to help. And then having an experience on the table. And so I do conscious work with my acupuncture and laser therapy. So patients I see, some of them have chronic conditions and, you know, emotional, chronic, long-term stuff going on and physical. And on the table, they can have that emotional shift. They feel it. They feel the relief come down. I'm just the facilitator. They're having the transformation. So on the table, on that visit, in one visit, they can feel it. Look, those programs are running. It's not like they're done. They're still going to come in more, but it gives them the trust and confidence to follow because of they have that experience. So getting those kind of skill set. In acupuncture, there's different styles of acupuncture, and sometimes you need to come for weeks or months to get resolution and even to see a shift. But there are certain acupuncture styles that on the table, they can feel the shift and that will also have them want to, um, it gives them the trust and confidence because that's what you're doing. You're creating a relationship. At the end of the day, do they have confidence that you can solve their problem? Can you solve your pro their problem? Because they're not coming to you, I'm going to, for what you think they're coming for. As in, they're not coming because you're a nutritionist and they want you to give them nutritional advice. They're not coming to me for acupuncture. They're coming to me to help them grow their families. If I told them to drink orange juice and skip around on one foot, it would help they would do it. I, I often think that if I told them that after intercourse, if they suffocated their partner, that they'd be guaranteed pregnancy, we'd have murders all over the place, right? Because they want resolution. So you're, don't think of yourself as the acupuncturist or the nutritionist or the naturopathic doctor. Put yourself in their shoes and that's what they're looking for. How am I going to help them solve their problem? And then can you communicate how you're going to help them solve the problem? And so if you have research to support treating things that they're coming in for, or if you have clinical stories that you can share with them that you've seen people just like them, again, that's going to let them relax in the room and start to have that trust and confidence to go on that journey with you and to follow your treatment plan. And so you have to have confidence that you can help. And then having the language and being able to communicate that to them is the next step. And then tell them what's required. Like, I can't believe how many practitioners see somebody for an initial consult or a follow-up and don't tell them when to rebook. And again, that's the confidence and inner work. They're, they're expecting the patient to know when to do things. When you get a exactly. prescription drug, do, don't you ask your doctor, how often, how long do I take this for? <laughs> and so, so every time I walk out my patient, um, in the room, I've already told them how long I would expect to see some change 
and how frequently I want to see them, if it's twice a week, three times a week, once a week for a period of time. Then when I walk them out, they hear it again because I'm telling my patient coordinator, this is what we're doing. Can you please book them? And so I'm giving the direction and then I send them a report. So after you see a patient for that first visit, are you giving them something written, right? Do you give them a report of what you've heard in the initial consult and then shared your plan for them so they have something to read because they're only hearing parts of what you say anyhow. And then are you continually updating or sending them materials after each visit? So those are kind of the things that are outside the regular clinical side, but I think is what separates some of the practitioners is their ability to communicate. It's not enough to say you care about them. They want to really experience it. So most of my patients within not every visit, but almost every visit, they get a little summary of what we talked about in the treatment and some homework, like, and homework as in things that are going to help them become accountable, responsible, be the one that's doing the transformation. So empowering them, right? Giving them the tools. And so those touch points are incredible. And so again, saying I, I'm a whole person, what are they, the, the buzzword is um, patient-centered care, right? Yeah. That idea. Yeah, it's nice to say that. How are you demonstrating that, right? And, and that's the key. It's not enough to say it. How are, they, how are you demonstrating it? How are they experiencing it? So I think that was a long answer to your short question. I apologize, Kendall. Well, it's invaluable information, um, truly, for our audience. And what you were talking about at the end is it's treatment planning. And so I think all healthcare providers can understand the idea of treatment planning. We're taught it in some form in our schooling, but there are providers everywhere who don't have that confidence or comfort level yet to say, here's what I think we should do, and here's why, and here's how long it's going to take, and I recommend that you book twice a week, right? And that patient walks out the door, and then they they might want to rebook, but they get home, and life gets busy, and they don't. And so then they don't experience the value. So the, yeah. the actual written form of the treatment plan is showing them tangible value on another level every time you're having that touch point with them saying, oh, yeah, remember, here's the value. And then it's easy for them to say, oh, yes, great. I'm going to do that. Hey there, this is Katie from Jane. Thanks for letting me drop into your episode today. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that makes it easy for you to run and grow your business with helpful features like online booking, scheduling, charting, and integrated payments. Here at Jane, we know that time is money. So we've created a better way for you to not just save time, but also get paid with our PCI compliant integrated payment solution called Jane Payments. With Jane Payments, you can request a credit card on file through an intake form or through your online booking payment policy. Jane Payments also makes it easy to collect outstanding balances through payment requests, emails, and texts. And the best part, there are no hidden fees, no surprises, and no contracts. It only takes a few minutes to set up before you're good to start processing payments. Learn how to save time and get paid with Jane at jane.app forward slash payments. And people are busy and they're inundated with social media and email. So yeah. it's okay to follow up. I do know that when we when we see somebody and they 
don't book right away and they say they are and we check in a week later, they're appreciative. And then if we saw somebody, then they kind of fall off the schedule and we check in with them. Um, so we track to see where our patients are. We want to know if they're getting better or not. Often like, oh my God, I've been wanting to book. Thanks. Thanks. You know, thanks for the reminder. Yeah. And those that aren't interested, they're not going to respond to your email. They're just going to say, thank you. Not interested. You know, part of the thing, this is why I think the inner work's so important. That part of the treatment plan and asking them, and some people don't do it. On an unconscious level, maybe we're fear of rejection, right? So fear of failure, rejection. And so this is why I think the inner work for the practitioner to go through their own process and have a coach to do it, even though you're afraid to do it, do it anyway. Because courage is not the absence of fear, right? Courage is is doing it with fear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fear is present. Exactly. So all the people that you say, like I remember somebody says, it's so easy for you. You you know, you're not afraid of anything. And I go, I'm always afraid. <laughs> I go, but I still do it. It takes a lot of courage. And I have done things to share a story just with your audience to, to, to share just kind of when you finally are two feet in and you make a decision to do something, it's just interesting how the universe kind of supports you. I always say, or I've heard it said this way, that it's like these hands come from the heavens and open up these doors that you didn't know existed. And so, for example, I created a, the Integrated Fertility Symposium that we held in Vancouver as a destination conference for Americans. And we ran it for five years until COVID, and it sold out every year. But I got to tell you this. So people are like, oh, my God, this is great. And look how, how easy it is for you because it sells out every year. So when we decided to do it, and we did it with the organization, the Acupuncture and TCM Board of Reproductive Medicine, the ABRM, um, when I said yes to doing it because they asked me to create a conference that they could do their exam at, I had a budget of mine, and when I finally worked out the numbers, the budget was large, and I told my wife, yeah, we're not going to do this conference. Um, she's a project manager, so she was part of this planning. If this doesn't work, we'd have to downsize. We'd have to sell our house. So I call up the president at the time, the late Ray Rubio. He's passed since, and I said, yeah, we, we can't do this conference. It's just too much risk. And he's like, what do you mean? We've already told our board members. We've bought plane tickets. Like, we you said you're going to do this. And I, I could have said no, but I just decided, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And when I shared this with my wife, again, she's going to be the project manager of the conference. She goes, what are you talking about? You said that if this doesn't work, we'd have to sell our house. And I said, well, it's not like nobody's going to show up, right? Nobody's <laughs> going to show up. And what ended up happening is because I was indecisive and kind of half in, half out, it was just things weren't happening. As soon as I said, I'm doing it, right? It's, that, it's like that story where, well, it's a story where they burn the boats behind them. You know, there's retreat is not a, an option. Like we, yeah. we fight and survive or we die here. Uh, there was no turning back. And then the speakers just came and things just started getting aligned. And was I scared? Yes, this was a huge commitment. And I didn't know if they would come. People weren't going to their own conferences in the States. And these were conferences that had multiple topics and I'm just doing fertility. And they came and it sold out. And then we did it for five years until COVID. And every year it sold out and it got more and more popular. Exhibitors came, everything. But I have to tell you that first year, I've never been so scared. But what happens is you have fear. You find the courage to do it. As you do, as you have the courage and now you're two feet in, then you look for competency. So you get skill sets. Yep. So I learned a lot. And then you have confidence. And now you can keep doing it. And that's the pattern for everything. Everybody that's done something successful they have courage. There's the fear of all the what-ifs, buts. They get the competency on the process, lots of bumps on the way. It, if it works or it doesn't work, they develop confidence. 
and then the cycle continues. And so if you're waiting to not feel scared, you'll never do anything. So it takes courage. Absolutely. And really, you know, a message to all clinic owners, anyone who wants to expand from solo practice or create a multidisciplinary center team, foundationally, there has to be this piece from within of committing yourself to the process for a reason. You know, people talk about your why all the time, right? But it's foundationally, what is the reason that will keep you going? And the reason that you won't quit when there's a global pandemic or something else, right? right? Because you won't know everything in the beginning or ever, and it will be really hard and it will be scary. Uh, So there has to be that piece of both feet in saying, no matter what, this is going to work. And I'm going to do it either way. And, you know, and Kendall, the focus for me, anyhow, all the different things I've done, like the, uh, the Integrated Fertility Symposium, being the first clinic in Canada, natural clinic to focus on fertility, right? Healthy seminars, that's the online continued education for acupuncturists, and we have some functional medicine courses. We started that in 2008 where people were like, this is crazy. Nobody's going to do this. Acupuncture, ac- continued education online, nobody's going to do it. Well, here we are today. Online is pretty popular, right? But back then, yeah. I was told I was a fool when I did it. So all these things now, they're happening and people are doing these similar things, the laser for fertility, same thing, one of the earlier adopters. Why was that risky? Well, they're expensive. The, the ones that were really helping with laser are thirty to $40,000, right? They're, they're not uh, cheap, uh, cheap toys. And so it wasn't, though, about the money. Like, I, obviously, I want to make the money, but uh, there was a, a vision behind that and believing that if you do it, the money will follow. And if the money doesn't follow, my heart will be full anyhow, so I'm still okay. Yeah. If you yep. just do it for the money and it doesn't work, yeah, that that really sucks. That's going to hurt. And so if you focus on why, like you said, you're doing this and the other things that are intangible or at least not money-based, and money can be part of it. I'm not anti-money. As I shared with you, I don't think that's healthy. Um, but I've always had, I want to do this. And, and, and then, so I dream about what I want. I, I plan it out. And then how can I monetize it? The money part for me, like what I'm going to charge for this, always came after. First, I decided, what am I doing? How do I want to do this? And then I, I figured out how I'm going to monetize it. And then how do I charge or what do I need to cut? Because I want to be able to make it that it's a uh, going concern, meaning that it doesn't uh, consume my resources and therefore it only can last a year or a few years. I want it to something that can keep going and going and grow. And so I don't focus on the money when I first start, but the money definitely comes into my discussion and my thinking process. But it's one of the later parts when I'm getting ready to really move forward. And before I move forward, I definitely have the money discussion with me or other people. If I can share one other thing, just because we talked about like creating value. So we talked about developing skill set. And so um, I have found that if you invest in yourself, so constantly continue to learn I think on another level, it sends something out into the ether. I don't know why, but in my early days and why I created Healthy Seminars, because it's a continuing learning platform, right? It just became an extension of what I was doing anyhow, is I became aware that when I would take a weekend workshop, my phone, this is back in the day where people weren't emailing, by the way, <laughs> there was an <laughs> online scheduling. Um, I'm, I'm 20 plus years into practice. The phone would ring that Monday for what I just studied. I used to find that amazing. And every yeah. time I would have low confidence or my schedule was slow, 
I would read some research or I would attend a workshop. Later in life, I would take an online course, build up my confidence, and then all of a sudden, the patients started coming in. And these courses gave me the, I just think on an energetic level, it's like Wi-Fi. I'm sending out a beacon and those people that need me, that kind of, that what I'm offering are tuning in and all of a sudden they find me through an ad or through a friend or, you know, through social media. It just happens. So I, I do think for me, you want to continue to build your confidence and no better way to build your confidence than to continually learn and invest in yourself. And I, the tagline of Healthy Seminars is invest in yourself and then others will invest in you. Meaning if I invest in myself, then it's more likely the public's going to invest their health in me and take it the other way. If I have such a fear of lack or I won't invest in myself because it's too expensive, then like attracts like. Then I'm going to attract patients that say, oh, too expensive, can't afford you, right? So like attracts like. So if all your patients are saying you're too expensive, they can't afford you, how are you in your life in investing yourself in building up your confidence in your skill set? And then from the marketing side, education, Dan Clements gave this. He, he wrote a book for the Practitioner's Journey of Success, and he had this analogy that your patients, you're like on an island, two islands. The public's on one island, you're on the other island. They don't know you exist. And so marketing is about letting them know you exist and removing risk and obstacles so they can get to you. So between the two islands is this cold, deep running water. And they now hear about you. They see an ad on Google, but they go to the water and like, oh, that looks cold and deep. So they stop. So you got to put all these boulders down to make the risk, to reduce the risk and obstacles. So the blog, the, the boulders are writing a blog post, doing a webinar, having a social media post, the writing a book. And then bridges are when a doctor says, you need to go see Dr. Lauren Brown. You know, that's a, that's like a bridge. A book can be a stepping stone or if it becomes like a bestseller, it becomes like a, a bridge where people now want to see you. And so uh, what I want to share with our listeners is sometimes you do two or three stones and you're like, it's not working. All the, you know, the stuff that Kendall's telling me is not working, right? And I'm saying, I don't know how many boulders you need to put in your stream for the, somebody to be able to walk over. But it just may be that they're halfway there and they just need more boulders. And some people need boulders closer together. Some people are able to jump um, you know, a little bit further apart. And so you're constantly through marketing, which really is just education, putting boulders in the water so they can feel that the risk and obstacles have been reduced enough so they can safely cross to see you. And you can obviously build a bridge. A bridge is a book, or you've developed relationships with other people that can refer, whether it's the public, somebody who had a great experience with you or a health professional. And when they say with confidence that you need to see them, they come and see you. And so that to me is what marketing is. It's just creating education, blogging, webinars, podcasts, all these things are just putting boulders into the water to remove those risks and obstacles. So the person who can benefit from, from you can know you that you exist and easily get to you. Lauren, you are a wealth of information. I so appreciate you being here. Um, as we close today, I'd love if you could tell our listeners about your free course giveaway and also how they can find you if they'd like to work with you. Absolutely. So to find me, um, you can go to healthyseminars.com and email us there. We're on Instagram and Facebook. 
Um, we didn't mention it, but I'll let you know that mind body stuff. I have a podcast called the conscious fertility podcast. So check that out. It's on Facebook, Instagram, but it's on Spotify and Apple and all that. The conscious fertility podcast. I think there's a few with that name. So look for the one that I host and you don't have to be trying to get pregnant to benefit from it. They talk a lot about this mind body stuff. Um, and so healthyseminars.com, um, my clinic is AccuBalance and then the conscious fertility podcast. And then the course that I want to share with, um, you know, your listeners, and they just have to contact Healthy Seminars, but it's by the late Ray Rubio, a good friend of mine that I mentioned, he helped me uh, get the Integrated Fertility Symposium started. And he did a, a brilliant course um, that um, is called, What is Your Story? Five Keys to Having an Authentic and Inspiring Life and Practice. And why this course is brilliant, I just got to share with you is, he created this um, when he, he was terminal illness and uh, I went to visit him and I had my camera there. He was supposed to be the keynote speaker for our, our, one of our conferences and um, he knew he probably wasn't going to physically make it. You know, he wasn't going to live long enough to that, to that date. And I came to say goodbye to him and I had my camera there and he said, fill me. And, you know, he was pretty emaciated and weak and I was like, I don't think I don't think we can do it. And he goes, yeah, I want to do this. So I hold the camera. I don't even have my tripod because I'm like, this is five minutes. And he goes for an hour without any notes. And you know when somebody's just downloading something and just giving you gold? For an hour, he's just given us gold for practitioners to keep that inspiration, integrity going. And my arm, it shakes a bit. I'll tell people when they watch it because I thought it was five minutes. I didn't bring a tripod. I'm for an hour holding this camera. And during that hour, he's healthy. I keep having to look through the, uh, from the lens to look at him because he's just a different person during that one hour when I, when I uh, filmed it. And so that's the course I want to share a free access to that. And to get that, they just have to say they heard about the course through your podcast and email us through healthy seminars. And then you just have to create an account, which is free to create. And we'll put the course in your account. And it's approved for acupuncture CUs if you're an acupuncturist, by the way. Um, but you don't have to be an acupuncturist to enjoy this course. And it's just something that he he brought from the heavens down to the earth. Like that, it was just one of those things to be in the presence of that. So that's the course I thought I would share with your listeners. I think it's uh, it will it will fill you up. So if you need to be charged up and, f- and get inspired again, this is the this is the course to listen to. Dr. Lauren Brown, everybody, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Kendall. Thanks so much for listening to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please visit our website at wellnesscentercreators.com for more show notes and additional episodes. By the way, I love hearing from listeners. Please send me an email at Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L at wellnesscentercreators.com with your feedback. And if you send me a question, maybe I'll read it on the show anonymously, of course. Thanks so much again for listening and we'll catch you next time on the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Podcast.